Welcome to The Deep Dive. I'm your host, Philip McKenzie. I'm an anthropologist strategist with a focus on culture and humanity-centered design. I'm Brooklyn-born and Brooklyn-made. Every week, I will bring you guests from a wide variety of backgrounds who, despite their different areas of expertise, share traits in common. They aim high, push boundaries, and make things happen. Their experiences drive insights. On today's episode of The Deep Dive, I'm joined by Mike Zamarski. Mike is a consultant and analyst for Future Processing SA, a specialized IT solution provider and technology partner. He facilitates efficient discussions and runs killer workshops. He is an enterpriser with a solid background in finance and accounting. He's owned several startups across three countries and two continents, and some of them have been successful. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have Mike join me on Deep Dive. He informed me before we got on the show that he's actually a, a fan of the show, which is always a positive thing to hear on what is a, a sunny Wednesday morning here in New York City and an afternoon for him. So, Mike, I want to thank you and welcome you to the Deep Dive. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. So up until now, I only had the opportunity to listen. So when I got the invitation, it was really my heart did beat a little bit faster. So thank you for having me. See, these are the kind of things that folks like me are not used to hearing. Right. Like, really? you know, no, of course not. I mean, these are the things that like, you know, very like famous people are used to hearing. Right. Not not just a guy sitting in Brooklyn doing a podcast, among other things. Right. So I think whenever we can um, po- get some positive reinforcement, it's always a good thing. <laughs> right. I'm a big I'm a big believer in positive reinforcement. Yeah, and I think that this comes like a natural consequence. If you do what you love, at some point you start getting some recognition just because of the passion that is behind it. So, yeah, congrats. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, this is, um, I mean, I, I do believe in in doing what we love and being focused on it. And I always tell people that know, like, my past, this show's obviously not about me, but I think it's just important to this little portion of the conversation is had I not pursued the things that I love, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the opportunity to talk to folks like you, right? Like, I sure. think there's a there's a beauty and a magic in me being in this seat, sitting where I am, you being in your seat, sitting where you are, and the universe has conspired to put us in the same place to have this conversation. So it's it's a very it's a very poignant moment, small but poignant moment. And what is life but small but poignant moments, you know? <laughs> so, with with that elite in, I, I think what I'm what I'm really looking forward to is having like a conversation that's going to be, you know, outlining you know how we think about our our humanity, which of course is a big topic, right? Um, but I think we're in a good place to you know, kind of wrestle with some things and, and just sort of, of have a dialogue about it. And, you know, starting with this, this idea of the humanity that is based in software, you know, is that where's the compatibility in your mind in those, in those two things? We hear so much about mechanistic sort of examples and metaphors. They've, they run through a lot of our literature and, so I want to get your thoughts on where those serve us and where they they might not. Oh, that's a really interesting question. So I, I hear that actually a lot when I do talk with my friends and colleagues and other people outside of 
our area of expertise, and they, they usually tend to boil down IT to a set of ones and zeros. And I usually think it about uh, like about the language. And like even if we are having the conversation and you, you, you talk before that, it's amazing that we can talk. And we are actually about like three or four thousand miles apart. The only reason we are able to talk is because of the these ones and zeros flowing from my computer to your computer. So we can think about the software as something that does enable conversation and actually writing a software is also trying to learn the common language that allows us to speak at the same wavelength. And um, I think that this is a topic that has been repeating itself since the beginning of human being, like even before that. So let me start with an interesting fact. I'm not just in IT, but I'm also a farmer. And an interesting thing about being a farmer is when you have your house animals, like when you have your um, chickens, where, where you have your, when you have your sheep, you tend to see and notice that they do speak different languages. Um, they actually communicate with, them, with themselves and they do have a language. Um, and this language is maybe even more sophisticated than, than what we do uh, in IT. And IT allows us and software allows us to create new means of communication that have never been available to us as humanity in the past. It's even like you get this blank canvas and you get only two paints. One of these paints is number one and the other one is number zero. And out of it, you can create almost anything. Now, can you tell me, is there anything more human than that? And, you know, I think that when I think about the the binary of the one and the zero, right? One of the, one of the things that it makes me think of is this notion of approximation, which is really a, a subset of what all language is, is, a, is an approximation of our, our lived reality, right? So whether or not I reflect on a certain word, all words are made up, right? Like, but hot and cold and warm and all these different sen sensorial things, the words are approximations that of uh, that require like you and I to have a, a shared experience to make sense of both of those things, right? And one of the things I, I want to get your thoughts on is the one and the zero are, are again, binary realities, whereas our shared world is far from, from binary, you know? Um, so how do we reconcile those two realities where the technology can then help us um, create a more robust understanding of our world rather than make our world more binary to fit their relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, the first question that I think that I understand from your question is, is there any place for compromise? If you only have two absolutes, is there anything in between? And I would say that it's all about what is in between those numbers and the sets of numbers. As 
there has been like an experiment with mice. It's been very famous. Like I'm not a scholar, uh, but it probably pops in your mind when you did uh, when you hear about the experiment that the mice at some point had been provided with perfect conditions where all of the, their needs have been met, and it it ended up with the end of the mice civilization, as it was just too convenient. So, where I'm going is. Uh, I do think that it's like very similar with with providing the absolute code. You can't do it. Like you can't. This is an an absolute tool that is designed, and its purpose is to make compromise. But compromise based on a very universal rule that could be understood by by every side the same way. Um, so this would be like the upside of the tool because you need, still need to go for compromises. You can't create everything you want. You need to make some workarounds. There are some limitations to the technology and due to these limitations, you can still say that uh, technology is still feels organic because in nature, you still have to face the reality if you if, if there is a storm if there's a hurricane you can't do anything about it. you just can save yourself your family your belongings or just run away or hide you can't fight nature and it's similar in it you just can't fight certain rules that provide you with limitations and this is why i do think there is still some place at least for the foreseeable future where technology would uh, be very similar to the day-to-day world. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you do have these different sides, right? You mentioned being a farmer, which obviously is, is one of the more, you know, natural things that one can do, right? You're literally in the natural world. And what's, what's interesting about that dichotomy is you know the the realities of, of farming and you know I'm a city kid right I, I grew up in Brooklyn in as concrete and glass an environment as one can possibly grow up in but in my later years I've gotten like a much greater appreciation for the land as a as a big idea right do not have a farm, though I aspire to those kind of things, but I don't have one. But as I've learned more about that world, it's, it is actually highly scientific and technological, but in a different way, right? And so I'm curious for someone like yourself who functions in a running a farm, also functions at, as a highly specialized IT technological professional, and thinks about these ideas, where do you see the similarities beyond the thinking around the limitations? Mm -hmm. I think that both of these, I I would call them biomes, although one of them is in biome. They are very similar if it comes to uh, how um, certain elements influence everything else and how do they need to be in constant balance and one change can change absolutely everything in the ecosystem 
And you need to treat um, creating software or maybe even uh, important re rewriting software as this is also people usually think about software. Okay, you do create something new, but a big part of our job is actually going into the existing solution or so an existing environment, similarly what you would find on a farm to find out what the limitations are for this specific environment, uh, what can you do in it, and what you can't. So on the farm, when your land is really low quality, you won't have supreme crops out of it, or you wouldn't be able to raise chickens if there's plenty of hawk uh, flying around. And it's very similar what you can do if you actually have to help some company um, to fix their software or fix their solution or help them sell the, their wares in a more modern way as you need to adhere to these basic principles that run their com company. And, you know, I want to dig a little deeper into that to that point because there's a I'm going to reference like a, a previous episode that I that I did not by number by name we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier before we got on the air um, referencing episodes by name and, and number but I spent some time with uh, a gentleman based here in the United States who who runs a natural organic sustainable farm and so um, shout out to like Chef Farmer Jones and. One of the things that that he constantly like emphasized was the importance of the soil, right? He was he was like just so focused on, you know, you cannot get good crops. You cannot grow like great tasting vegetables, You're very focused on taste without quality soil and and how important that was. And so he really started like this longer, thought process in my head around the origins of things, the beginnings of things. And I think to continue the analogy between the two, the two worlds, you know, how do we make sure that the soil that we are working in, in our technology, in our communication spaces is vibrant enough to get the outcomes that have the opportunity to make our world better rather than to make our world more degraded? Like, how do we go deeper into the origins of what we're producing in that side of things? Mm -hmm. This is a super important question, as this, this is actually what makes, I would say, the biggest difference, both in farming and in IT. So before you do either one or another, so before you start an IT project or before you start a farm, what you need to do is to do a proper assessment what you actually can do as normally you wouldn't know what you are walking into before you assess it with your human brain uh, that can understand the limitations and the possibilities that you might have. This is something that requires a lot of innovation from uh, from day one and um, it requires from you to properly understand where your sheer, sheer will force would not be enough. Uh, as uh, I did have some experiences on the financial field in my career, and one of the amazing things about the world of finance is that with 
your sheer willpower, uh, with your dedication, you can change the reality you live in. So you can influence some people, you can um, um, hire people who would uh, help you change the environment, change the narration. If it comes to IT and if it comes to nature, you can't do this. You just uh, have the as-is state and your job at the beginning is to take people who have the widest possible perspective and can connect the dots the best they can. And these people can, need to not only be, be skilled in, uh, in IT, but they need to have an additional background. They need to have a passion. They need to something to, to connect the IT knowledge to, to better understand the human that would use this software or to better understand nature. So this is where uh, analysis comes in. And it's a big part of develop, developing software at the moment. And it's this is a field where you can see big improvements from what happened in the past, like 20, even 10 years ago, and what happens now, how big chunk of the whole work is coding in, com in comparison to to the past. So in the past, it was the 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 biggest part at the at the moment i would say analysis discovery strategy these are the things that are the biggest part of any it project you know, i i love like as you're as you're talking i'm like taking other notes right <laughs> so it's That's like okay. taking us in in other directions because i don't want to lose some of the richness that we're getting and i i love this point around analysis, discovery, and strategy. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to it in the next question. But as you were talking about that that soil that I asked you about, it it led me. I think you made it a realization that not many have made, right? And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it back because it was it was very important to me, which will lead to like another question. And it's not gonna be verbatim, but basically one of the things you talked about was willpower, right? And this and this notion that in in some fields mentioned finance as an example, willpower, this idea that I could just kind of shift by using resources is is a very preeminent thought. And like the natural world and technology world doesn't really work in the same way. And it made me think to myself that if I if I look at this model that we all live in and I'm editorializing, which is maybe a word I've tried to say less on the show because people have told me that I say it a lot. And I feel like I haven't said it in a lot. So this is a return of the word editorializing, <laughs> hopefully, right? I'm going to hear listeners be like, you used that last week. Like, what are you talking? But um, I think I haven't used it in a long time. And so there's a little bit of my editorializing, but it's getting to a question. And the question is, I think about willpower in the in the way in which you used it in that have what I'm offering is that haven't we haven't one of our problems been using willpower to change our natural world, right? In the sense that here in the United States, for example, shit floods all the time for a lot of reasons, right? Climate change, floods have gotten worse, forest fires have gotten worse, and they take an incredible toll toll on on human life, on um, resources in particular areas. So I'm using very domestic examples for that. And I remember I was reading a book. I can't quite remember who it was by, but it was about indigenous societies. And 
you know, they made a comment within the book that, again, I'm not going to quote exactly because I don't remember it, but it was an impression that like, well, some of these things is all, have always happened, not to the same degree. Climate change is clearly real, but indigenous people didn't put cities in, in places where they would flood, right? Like they knew that these things would happen. And so they just didn't do it. You know, they controlled the forests by controlled burns, very scientific technological things. And now two people go camping and half of California is on fire. So this is a long question to get to. Hasn't it been our desire in sort of a capitalist framework to exploit and extract using willpower to make things that aren't supposed to be, right? Like maybe we aren't supposed to have oranges all year round at our disposal all the time, anywhere in the world, right? Like maybe we sh we need to put some limitations on things. So like, what do you think about that kind of using the willpower as an example in comparison to the natural world and, and the IT world? Oh, like this super interesting as... I do believe that we obviously we do overuse willpower and we think that we are stronger than than we think or more important than than we actually think and uh, in the end we lose to nature uh, we, we I do believe that we lose to nature in the end and this has been like at least in my opinion it has been um, a repeating cycle uh, that happened previously, for example, around like Rome or Constantinople or in, in ancient times, it was um, the same problem with crops, for example. So you know, people tended or some cultures when they grew and matured, they tried to move from uh, natural farming to monocultures as this was much more efficient and it did steamroll the growth much more because obviously when you use fertilizers and so on you can exploit uh, the soil to get the best result but it's super short term and at the end of every cycle in history uh, it ended up with the fall of civil civilization and uh, then another part of the world just grew as a result of that so i i know that we're sailing a little bit hard from from the main question but i do think that this is important and we will pay for 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 our thought that we are equal to gods oh definitely uh, and i know that we are not trying to go political so i will not do it to it but if you look at the situation in the world at the moment and when you realize okay i could have lived in a different part of the world what would my willpower do it would maybe if i were lucky provide me with some shelter or a way to run away with my family so at the end this all of this willpower will 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 just have to bow to what's happening on the world and i think that's very fair and maybe this is something that has been built in into this world i don't know whether by someone or by design but i i am hopeful that there is a safety switch that would turn on at some point and obviously we would pay but we deserve that don't we 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, politics is more than allowed on, on this show to whatever degree people want to want to introduce them. And I think any any long-term listener or even just a casual listener knows very well where I where I stand on, on the political spectrum. So even if if not said explicitly, it's always running through by the quality of the people that I bring on on the show, right? Like I have a a, a pretty firm rule that you know, this isn't a debate show. Like, I'm not interested in like talking to folks who want to kill us. So screw those people, right? They have more than yes. enough places to <laughs> to to um sell their their idiotic ideas and their and their wares, right? So Fox News is always there for you to waste your time on. Should you choose to go down that road again? Another American reference to a a, a fascist, fake, um, terrible organization that has poisoned. The minds of far too many Americans, but nonetheless, we we I don't want to digress on talking about how shit Fox and conservatives are, um, you know. But I I do want to continue a little bit on the monoculture idea, right? Because you said like so many like a few key things in there that I love, right? That you made this this really like and you said it so subtly, but it's so poignant, right? That when you have monoculture. It can it can really boom and be explosive, but it's short term, right? And and short term doesn't necessarily mean short yes. in the way that we are thinking about things, right? Like we could have, I mean, as human beings, short term can mean a millennia, yes. right? We we've lived under a a sort of industrial age capitalist exploitation story for hundreds of years now, right? And and I would make the argument that that's a short-term story. It might outlive my lifetime and and perhaps yours, but it's still a short-term story when it comes to the ecological health of our planet and our place in it, right? But maybe the human story is a short-term story for all I know. Who knows? But not to get too far off in the weeds, what I, what I want to offer and get your thoughts on is in a more connected world than, than ever before. You know, for any variety of reasons, some of them are cultural, some of them are technological. When other empires would collapse in history, you know, you had other places perhaps to go, right? Some of that was also extracted mm -hmm. in nature, colonialism, whatever, new frontiers to some, land and existing worlds to others. But as I think about through this a little bit, are we in a place where our connectivity is to such a high degree that we risk a monoculture where there are no other places to go, right? Whether actual physical geographic places or even like philosophical places, right? So how do we get to a, a more long-term way of thinking, a polyculture that can be in resistance to this Okay, so there are two facets for, for the answer, in my opinion. So the first one is, I do believe that in the past, people also thought that there is no other way, that we have discovered everything. At some point that there were like blank spots on the map, and they thought, okay, there is nothing there. Or they even thought that the, obviously the earth is flat, and that was it. They thought that they know everything, and there is ocean all around, and then they can't go anywhere else so it is my belief that it's again and our innate 
thought that we are at the peak of our civilization and there's n never going to be anything more. So surely there is plenty of plenty to discover still. We don't know whether it's a macro scale, whether it's a micro scale. We don't even know if there is another dimension. I know that this sounds ridiculous, but if we make an assumption that there might be something that we don't know, uh, it, it could um, show up as a form of something that we can't imagine at the moment, or we, we are calling something else entirely. So it's it's I think it's important first to be hopeful and have open mind, and be receptive enough to spot this chance and this occasion when it emerges. Maybe it already did, but I maybe I don't see that, or maybe it's not being seen by general public. And this leads me to the second part of the answer, which is where can we look for this? Um, polyculture at the moment and actually internet is a great space to and technology is a great space to give us a semblance at least a semblance of this poly, polyculture it acts like a world library of heritage and allows to thinkers to allows thinkers to po populate the world with their own ideas, allows us to go back to our roots in some cases. Maybe we should actually, going back to my first point, maybe we should actually look back and find out what has been working in the past. Uh, so to say, like, rediscover things that were actually good in our history. And there is no other way than to um, create a world of information that allows us to spread the knowledge that maybe we already had and we already lost. Let me, let me give me an, give you an example. As you said about your previous guest, who mentioned that they do run their farm in an ecologic way. They try to re regenerate the soil. So these techniques have been known for thousands of years. Uh, I do believe in uh, regenerative agriculture. So this is a way of allowing the uh, land, the soil to re regenerate itself by using uh, a variety of animals and variety of different plants to recreate the as close to the original state of the land as possible and to recreate a natural cycle of things. And you could see a very similar approach in, for example, medicine. So rediscovering uh, like ancient medications or medications that have been used uh, very scarcely in only secluded parts of the world. This is knowledge that would have never reached anyone outside of the the small uh, encircled areas. Um, so maybe this is our chance uh, at the same time as it is a danger to us. And, and I think that's, because it's it's funny, I've, I jotted down this idea of discovery, right? Um, which which you organically, there's that word again, brought up in your answer to that question, and I was gonna frame it as a, a question around like our modern internet, right? Because you had had referred to it as this as a library, and maybe I will start there because you know as a as an early internet user, like not as early as some, but just by virtue of my age, right? Like I remember like Netscape, right? And and like, you know, AOL 
CD come into your house and dial up and and all these kind of things. And as much as the internet was in its beginning stages from a commercial use, right? And we didn't have the speed, we didn't have the amount of it if in, in however one might measure the amount of the internet. I felt that the discovery capability of the internet was quite broad. And and now I feel that like my browsers suck. They never give me like the they never give me like the thing I'm looking for. It, it feels like I'm only being given. And I said feel, right? So this might not be the reality, but it feels like I'm not being given the information that I want, right? Or it's much harder for me to just discover something, right? It it feels like a lot of things are kind of being fed to me. So I wanted to get your sense as someone who is a technologist, like, are we getting the most robust discovery that we can through our technology, given the business models that are connected to so much of our technology, right? Which is like ad generated. It's kind of designed to keep us walled in a little bit, right? So I'm curious about that aspect of discovery. I want to hear your thoughts and I want to go into a slightly different direction because I haven't forgotten the other three points that I want to get back to. I promise I will get back to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, like <laughs> this is interesting because I, I do have a feeling that we're, we're actually getting there. So for the past years, it, it was more like someone came up with an idea for a piece of software, be it your browser or the portal that you use. And and then without proper discovery, they just implemented their own idea. Uh, so this was the beginnings. Then we went to more uh, to a more corporate model, as obviously this is something that was working in the business. So create a big organization that has everything under one roof with a chain of command with someone who thinks about software. There is like plenty of people in the meantime, who change. Uh, it's like this children game when one kid tells another in secret one sentence and then the other tells the sentence to another and so on. And at the end, the message is totally distorted. So I, I just think that this is why our software is as is at the moment, as this is a uh, maybe a bad business models from the past that have been applied to something that is like, again, I'm using this word, natively creative as creating software. And this is this is something that simply affects the usability of the software a lot, as the end product is sometimes nothing close to the initial vision and the message gets so distorted in the, in the, on the way that it simply doesn't, uh, doesn't satisfy you as an end user for this particular software. But luckily the market changes and the access to, to technology is much better at the moment. So to the point where people from really secluded areas are able to access all the knowledge, learn to code and create their own solutions. So people like us who are using software would have access to to the best pieces of software all across the world. So it doesn't matter who develops it. It as soon, like as much as it's been very well thought over. So naturally, big business needs to follow. And you can already see this change in the way how new companies 
are, or companies around soft, software are being structured. So in the past, like past 10 years or so, you mainly saw uh, small pro programming offices aspiring to be like software houses and then growing and growing and providing just a coding service. Uh, now the trend moves towards uh, companies trying to be at least like the bigger or modern ones trying to be the partner that understands and goes deep into the initial idea and expand expanding on it not because some decision maker said so but because we did a very thorough analysis what what's the what the initial idea is and what the end user means yourself would need from this software what's your actual problem not 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 the client x that has been uh, identified somewhere in the process not actual living people and this might be more similar to what to what more product companies uh, did in the past um, so a lot of focus groups a lot of testing actually asking users what they need from a piece of clothing or from their food and this is where the breakthroughs uh, throughs were made uh, breakthroughs like brass or something that completely changed uh, how we use reality and i think we are on the brink of a of the same revolution in providing software where we are going to think about the user much more than about the actual process of delivering stuff absolutely and you know it's that that's perfect because it, it actually gets us back to the analysis, the discovery, and the strategy, and your earlier point as to how those are becoming more embedded in the process, right? We're 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 making a, a, a richer process that I, I think you very astutely highlighted is more tied to maybe how we think about product design and 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 just more traditional design is not in the software space which leads me to thinking about the humanity of all of this right that you know there's human beings making these things and and running these processes and there's human beings using these processes at the end right the so-called end user i try not to use that kind of language but for the purposes of this conversation everybody will know what i'm talking about right and I wonder, in in your mind, we're on the brink of these things, but but is this a way of actually doing things differently, or is it a way of talking about doing things differently? And and what I mean by that, and I think you provided this prompt, it's like sustainability or greenwashing, right? We talk about these things, but it's just a little smoke and mirrors, right? <laughs> how how much is is actually being incorporated at the at the base level of of really centering our humanity in these processes uh, my hopeful answer is i hope that it's enough to make a change and yeah like sustainability is a really great example and i did speak to some of my colleagues and they told me listen mike this is a very muddy area. Don't go there. <laughs> so I will try to be a little bit polite, but I do have an observation that your audience is very intelligent uh, to understand the topics that you are discussing. So 
I just think that everyone w would have their own conclusion. But exactly what you said, like talking talking about one thing is not is is not enough. And I, I do think that sustainability is more like sellable. You can sell it as there is uh, there is this additional value. You're you're saving someone. And you are you have these um, high values that you can present as your company values that put you in better light. In humanity, I think that the, the best thing about us, if, again, this might be controversial, but the best thing about us that we are is that we are flawed. Not that we only aspire to do good, but we can come to an arrangement with ourselves and with our faults. And every time we fail, we can love each other a little bit, and that's the philosophical way to happiness. Uh, but this this dirty part in humanity, this is what makes the, this human human centric design uh, so special. And it gives us hope that it might be a movement or it might be a direction that could be a little bit different than previous cases as the center part is our dark side, not the light side. We are not trying to save everyone. We're trying to know what we do bad, why we are lazy, why sometimes we are stupid, why we sometimes don't do things that we should and prefer to watch Netflix instead. I'm definitely guilty often of of, of watching Netflix, but I, I do it all in the name of research. <laughs> of course. Right. The 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 good thing about working and living in culture is that you can do almost anything you want and call it research, <laughs> which is a which is an awesome thing, right? Because we're all trying to understand and, and make sense of the human condition. And and like you said, we are we are flawed, right? And and there's a, a certain beauty in that as we navigate all of these different systems and 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 hopefully we we move forward with in in a real interest and dedication to doing far more good than than doing harm you know staying away from harm is is one of my primary modes of operating um so as i promised i want to keep us our eye on the time here and i want to get us to the final two segments of the show which is off the dome sure. and the drop, right? So we're going to go into off the dome and I'm going to uh, steal a question that I actually asked um, Farmer Lee Jones when he was on the show, but he was deceptive <laughs> in his answer on purpose. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you know, you run a farm. So I'm going to ask you a slightly different question than I asked him. What is your favorite part of being a farmer? Um, the smell of soil. <laughs> so my favorite part is uh, right after the rain, uh, when I do pick up some fresh soil, and I know that it has changed because of what I did with the soil. And I can smell it, this connection to nature, to the very base, basis of our existence, is something that gives me, me the most joy and allows me to feel a part of a bigger hole. I love that. I mean, that's that's a, a really, really great answer. Any answer is good because it is off the dome, but I particularly like when there's a poignant answer in there as well. You know, I'm going to now flip it to the technologist and the technology side of, of, your, of your life. You know, when you talk to people about your work, when you describe your work to them, what is the most common misperception about the work <laughs> 
that you do in IT? Okay, so the, the most most common misconception is that I can fix their PC. <laughs> and everyone who works in the IT on the IT market, they know how to fix computers. No, most of us don't. <laughs> I would be that person. <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> now we have people who fix our would... hardware for us. We can't do this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair point. Um, and my my other question is: We talked about the discovery of discovery and the notion that some of it lives in the past, right? That there are things out there, knowledge that has already been acquired, and we can reclaim that knowledge on a on a more like fun front what is what is something in in the past and I'm, the past is nebulous right it can be a, a year ago it can be five years ago whatever what is something from the past that you would bring back today something that we've kind of gotten away from that you would say you know what that was actually pretty good the way we did x what, what would that be and i'll actually share mine as well okay so the thing that I would bring back is I do think that every single person should know, especially if they don't do it, um, how does it taste to do manual labor? As this gives uh, a lot of, really a lot of freedom and a lot, it allows you to realize, I know that it was supposed to be fun, but <laughs> it allows you to understand how to be humble and how to, how to do some basic steps and to feel more grounded in reality. No, that's a great answer. And it's a fun answer, right? Because it's true, right? We do, there's there's pride in all labor and and some of us, myself included, do need to use to do more more manual labor beyond basic chores and stuff. So I, I definitely agree. And even though, again, Off the Dome is not about me, I will share this quick, very quick observation of something mm -hmm. I would love to bring back is liner notes in music you know back in the day when you bought like a album or a cd they had these great liner notes right they would tell you everything about you know what went into making that music and as a as a music person i really miss that like there's a lot of albums that come out by by artists that i love and when you stream things you're just looking at like a song title the length of time, and, and maybe they throw in some other things, but it's not at all like, oh, this is recorded at Abbey Studios on this date, and these people played on it, and we did the, you know, I don't know. I'm, as a music nerd, I miss like being able to like sit with my music in a way that just doesn't seem to exist anymore in in the same way. So I would definitely bring back <laughs> liner notes, right? In a in a in a time when we can annotate anything, it's a shame that like. We don't have this information anymore, or it's not as readily available. I'm not going to say it doesn't exist at all, but it's not as readily available. So I would definitely bring that back. Man, you just opened a can of worms right, right here, because <laughs> I just think that, like, more widely speaking, uh, the thing that we are lacking the most as a civilization right now is the context. So we have plenty of information, but we don't have a context, uh, and we can't connect. All of these dots, we have too many dots, too little background. Yeah, absolutely, man. We need a more context-rich world, whether it's liner notes or everything else is going on around us. So we agree on that. So I'm going to get us to the drop. And the drop is just an opportunity for us to share anything at all with our listeners that we think that they should 
check out and and be aware of and and interact with. I'm going to go first with my drop and then I'll throw it over to you. You know, my drop is a book called Red Alert, um, Saving the Planet with Indigenous Knowledge. And it's by an Indigenous scholar, Daniel R. Wildcat. And it's been at the top pile of my many piles of books that I have everywhere. And I've, I've really been trying to spend more time like understanding and listening and reading indigenous scholars, not from a perspective of um, making them part of mythology, because their societies and their culture are very much alive and, and very vibrant. And I'm, I'm trying to do my best to better understand and listen to their stories, um, because I think they have a lot to teach us. And, and we have a lot to do in terms of pulling them into our, our world. So the book, again, is called Red Alert, Saving the Planet with Indigenous Knowledge. And the author of that is Daniel R. Wildcat. And that's my drop. And you're up. Okay, that's amazing. So my drop would be, let me provide you with the context first. So uh, a lot of people always ask me, okay, so why did you start farming? So I thought I will tell them what I tell everyone. I always thought that once I grow old and I will stop working, I will just go to the countryside and start a farm. But then I thought, why wait? Uh, and a lot of people ask me, okay, so this needs, this is like super hard. So how did you start? So my drop is telling you how to start exactly. Also, buy a book by Joel Salatin. This is a, an um, Amazon bestseller and a best-selling author, author in the States. And once again, Joel Salatin, his main, the first go-to book is You Can Farm. So, and, and it, there is also a second part of this book. So uh, it lays out all of the principles, how to set up a sustainable agricultural uh, business while at the same time making profit and respecting nature. And if you don't know how to start, buy this one book and find out whether you can do it or not. And you don't need to buy a lot of acres. I can tell you that you can just read the book and everything is outlined there and just make it happen if you want to. Don't wait. Absolutely. I might, I might have to get this book. <laughs> It, it sounds like a, a, a wonderful journey, and we, and we all of us should be spending more time as part of our natural world because we're part of our natural world, right? Too much of our thinking is in separating us from the world in which we live in in a very vibrant way. Um, so that is an awesome, awesome drop. You know, Mike, this has been a great conversation. Um, I'm really um, grateful and and thankful for your time, and I and I want to thank you for for joining me on on the deep dive from Brooklyn to Poland. This is an amazing episode. <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an, really a pleasure to have a chat, and thank you. Thank you. You can listen to the deep dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at FarFlungPhil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.